This podcast covers general health information only. If you have specific medical questions, please consult your healthcare professional with any concerns. Welcome back to the Healthy Lifestyles Wellcast. We are excited for today's episode because we have Brighton Loveday from Huntsman Cancer Institute with us. Brighton, we are thrilled you are here. Well, thank you for the welcome. I'm glad to be here as well. Wonderful. Our program is educating our participants about cancer and the cancers that impact Utahns the most throughout the month of November. This is a subject you are very knowledgeable about, but before we jump in with questions, I would like to tell our participants a little bit about you first. Brighton Loveday is a nurse practitioner in the Supportive Oncology and Survivorship Program at Huntsman Cancer Institute. She received her bachelor's degree in nursing from Gonzaga University and a master's degree as an adult nurse practitioner from University of Cincinnati. She spent 10 years working in community hospice and home care prior to joining the Huntsman Cancer Institute and was the key person to opening and developing two Wasatch Front-based hospice programs. Her interests include symptom management, palliative care, and improving quality of life for cancer patients. She is a certified oncology nurse practitioner and a certified hospice and palliative care nurse practitioner. She enjoys spending quality time with her husband and two sons, camping, hiking, sailing, and being outdoors. She also enjoys reading a good book. And Brighton, how would you describe your day-to-day role in the Supportive Oncology and Survivorship Program? Thank you for that great introduction. So I uh, have been working on this Supportive Oncology team here for 10 years, and we have a role that is supportive to the other primary teams here, working both in the inpatient setting for cancer patients that are in the hospital with acute illnesses, and also in the clinic setting. And so helping patients when they're not acutely ill, but still needing help with symptom management and comfort and quality of life. And so... Um, We spend most of our time helping to make sure that patients feel as good as they possibly can, either while they're undergoing cancer treatments or afterwards when they've completed those, but still have some uh, overlying symptoms and um, side effects that still affect their lives. Oh my goodness. It sounds like an emotionally taxing job. How do you combat compassion fatigue when going to your job every day? Well, it can be at times a little overwhelming, but what gives us hope and a lot of comfort is that we're helping people to feel better. We're helping improve their lives, um, making them, you know, better than they were and helping relieve pain, stress, anxiety, improving things like sleep and nausea and all those things that really go along with having cancer. And so, Um, many people are very, very thankful for what we do for them. And the other big thing is that we help them have conversations about what they really want. And so addressing goals of care or, um, you know, making sure we all understand what they want and that we're not doing things to them 
that they would rather not have done. Gosh, that's that's so cool that you be you're able to see firsthand that that change of support that you guys can provide as well. I'm sure that you know when when individuals going through such a hard time and a difficult time as well as I'm sure confusing yeah. they you're able to see that support firsthand and and when things start to pick up and it's like okay, they feel like they've got a handle on it. You get to see that and that's that's awesome. Way cool. It- it really can be very special and it's great when people heal and get better. We're really happy for them, but we're also there to support them when things aren't going well and if they're getting sicker and sometimes we even help people have what we call a good death. We're making sure that it includes everything that they would want to have, you know, with family, with caregiving, with medications and comfort. And we just do our best to really make sure that everyone feels good about the way things went. I love that because they, I'm sure that they feel like they always have somebody on their side rooting for them, understanding what they want and what their needs are, and that you stick with them throughout that whole process, no matter what happens. That's awesome. Absolutely. Yeah, we're definitely a kind of an advocate team. And so we encourage patients to call us um, even if their their team hasn't told them about us, they can self refer. So it's a it's a really nice program here, and we work closely with our wellness center here as well to provide a lot of really great services for patients and their families. Oh, I love that. That's that's so cool, and that kind of segues into the next question that I have for you as far as cancer treatment. How would you say that cancer treatment and care has changed within this last decade from your perspective? Yeah. Oh my gosh. It has changed so, so much. There's really exciting things on the frontier. And a few of those include things like uh, vaccines for cancer. And, you know, one of the ones that's really being um, publicized now and encouraged is the HPV vaccine, which is for cervical cancer. And, um, you know, it's really important, I think, for parents to recognize now that that's a possibility, you know, to to immunize their children, usually between the ages of 9 and 14, to help prevent a future cancer. Um, And then we have other, you know, vaccines that we're working on. And also, I think T-cell or CAR T-cell therapy is one of the newest, most exciting therapies you know, where we're actually using our own immune system to fight the cancer by taking out some of our own T cells, genetically engineering them to recognize whatever specific tumor that patient has, and then, you know, growing the amount of them and putting all those cells back in the patient. So they're like, loaded and ready to charge and find those tumors in the patient and go after them. And so that's really exciting in the hematology field right now. That's where it's mostly approved, but they're working to approve it in other types of cancers. Um, So a lot of really super exciting things, as well as we're using the gut microbiome now to try to help 
either improve the immune system response when, you know, in cancer, we oftentimes have a much decreased immune system. It's very low. And we, we actually um, kind of knock that out when we're giving things like chemotherapy. But they're looking at ways to use the, the organisms and the microbiome in our gut to help unmask tumors and make them visible to the immune system so that they can be found easier. So really amazing things. And, and Huntsman Cancer Institute has so many incredible researchers here. Uh, bright, bright future. Wow. I did not know about these new advances. So with the T cells, how do they put them back in? Is it almost <laughs> as if you were you know, you put in an IV? Yeah, it's like a blood transfusion. They're just, they're, the patient's own cells are infused back into them. Wow, that's incredible. It, it is incredible. Of, <laughs> it reminds me of the nanobots on James Bond <laughs> or something like that. That's cool. Yeah, it's really amazing how they figured out uh, how to do all of these things. And, and we're really appreciative of the patients that have come up here and been willing to be a part of the research and are willing to, you know, try out the, be a part of these trials. And I think too, something to know for sure, like you mentioned the HPV vaccine is it's so crazy to think that those are readily available for us to be able to get a vaccine to help prevent or fight off those infections, um, you know, if we were to ever encounter that. That is so crazy. Yeah, it is. And it's amazing. It used to only be for children, but they've approved it now for um, people ages 15 to 45 as well. Yeah. And since you're older and you um, haven't had it or, and you haven't been exposed already, then you can get um, a three-dose series, series of shots instead of just the two-dose that you get when you're um, in, in your preteens. <laughs> Yes, I actually recently did that at our Healthy Me Clinic. It's a clinic we have on site at the Government Center, and I did my doses there with our Dr. Sheehan. So for you listeners, if you haven't, Healthy Me Clinic has the HPV vaccine available for you. We recommend it. And Brighton, I, cancer impacts so many people in our community. I mean, you can't meet one person who it hasn't affected what kind of advice would you give for family and friends on supporting a loved one who has cancer? Well, you're right. It's really hard to find someone out there who hasn't been affected by cancer. And it's just a really, you know, it's a sad statistic, but it's something that every one of us ends up dealing with eventually. And it's a tough situation, but I definitely think what's really important if you're supporting somebody who has cancer is to make sure that you take the time to listen to them for sure um, and tell them you love them often. Also, try putting yourself in their shoes and recognizing that they're really going through a lot. And so they might be moody at times, but just trying to really kind of be supportive and respectful of that and also allow them to have alone time if they need it. I think it's really important too for them to feel like other people are caring and wanting to come with them to appointments. Um, Oftentimes, you know, when you're in a doctor's office and they're giving you information, 
you're so anxious or nervous that you're not really absorbing everything they say. And so if you have a family member with you that can also be listening and maybe even take notes and write some things down, it'll really help when you're going back and um, you're like, oh, what did he say or what did she say? Um, and so having a second person there, I think, is a great idea and important um, to be helpful. Be ready to laugh and smile, too. I mean, humor, even though people are sick, humor is such a great aspect of healing and an important part of just feeling some joy and being able to not constantly be feeling down and low. So that's very important. Um, also, you can get burned out as a caregiver. So I think it's really important to take care of yourself. Remember, you know, to get exercise every day and to eat healthy and to get good sleep at night. Um, other things that could be helpful are support groups. So encourage them to look for support groups, participate with them if they would like. Um, and as a part of my role, I'm always encouraging every single patient and their family to fill out advanced directives. So making sure that we know what your wishes are and that we don't end up doing something that you would rather not have done. I think, I mean, you've mentioned some wonderful things and some really great tips on how people can support their loved ones when experiencing a diagnosis such as cancer. Um, and I think highlighting the idea of providing love and respect and the fact that that can look differently for each individual and giving them that time and space to communicate with you regarding that, but also figuring out what that would look like. Because again, I'm sure it's probably uncharted territory for many experiencing that first diagnosis and just being able to have that companionship and knowing that somebody's there to love and support you no matter what. And I, th I think that holds so much power. Um, and this kind of leads directly into my second question that I have for you is as we've talked about, it can be extremely overwhelming. And as you stated that when an individual is going to a doctor's visit and maybe not having somebody there, it can be hard to absorb that information. So with that and taking that into consideration, do you have tips to help patients and their caregivers better communicate with healthcare professionals such as nurses and doctors? And you mentioned filling out that care plan. Um, mm -hmm. In addition to that, is there anything else that people can keep in mind when trying to communicate their needs, but maybe not entirely sure how to do so? Yeah, I think oftentimes patients and their families are a little bit nervous to ask their providers to slow down and to use simple language, but it's a good reminder for us um, you know, to have that pointed out, like, I'm not understanding what you're saying. It's okay to point that out. Could you please put that in more simple terms so that I can understand better? Um, and also ask for instructions in writing. Make sure that, you know, they're, they're putting it down in print so that you can review it later. Um, and before you go to the appointment, take time to actually write down your questions. Because oftentimes people get there and they forget you know, to ask the things that they really wanted to because they get distracted by other information or they just are feeling upset or nervous about what they've heard. 
And so it's it's helpful to have those questions written down ahead of time, um, for sure. Yeah, I mean, we've, we've definitely tried to, um, you know, push that idea of writing down your questions, even when you're going to your primary care physician, right? Like, as you're saying, and the, <laughs> I am 100% guilty of this is I get into the doctor's office and I had the best intentions of having a good conversation or asking questions that I had, but then I go in and I'm, I draw a blank, right? I'm outside of my comfort zone and this isn't necessarily maybe an environment that I feel a hundred percent comfortable in. And so, yeah, I think that brings up a great point that no matter, you know, what doctors visited is writing down your questions, making sure that you have that clear mind and clear map of what you want to ask is super important. And two, how important is that? Is that knowing that you can ask your doctor to slow down and, you know, talk in more simple terms is important. That's awesome. People often don't feel comfortable doing that, but actually we appreciate it. I think as providers, when patients express to us that they're wanting better information, slower information, they're not understanding what we're saying because it refocuses us too and redirects us to provide, you know, more information if we need to or provide it in a different way if we need to. I think also for patients to share not only how they're feeling physically, because I think a lot would focus, you know, on those symptoms that they're feeling, but sharing how you're feeling emotionally about the situation because the nurses and doctors can help with that as well and give tips and resources. So not only focusing on your physical health, but your mental health when you're talking with your healthcare professionals, especially in this type of setting with the cancer diagnosis. Yeah, remembering those breathing exercises is helpful too. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, definitely. Absolutely. Well, before we end our conversation, the last question I have is, what is the number one thing we can do to prevent cancer in our lives? It's a hard one to pick just one. So, oh, yeah, I definitely um, don't think I can pick just one. <laughs> That's would, fine. Share them all. <laughs> I would say, um, obviously, eat healthy, fresh fruits and vegetables, moderate alcohol intake, um, very limited red meat intake, and processed meat intake. Choose fishes if you can, um, and lots of antioxidants and berries and things that are going to be healthy for you. Um, Definitely when it comes to the sun, especially here in Utah, where we're so high up in elevation and we're kind of the number one melanoma cancer state, um, you've got to wear sunscreen. Try to stay out of the midday sun Keep your skin covered and in the shade when you can. And please avoid tanning beds and sun lamps. Those have been shown to contribute to skin cancers. Um, Exercise every day. Get good sleep. (laughs) (laughs) All the good things. Yes. And if there's a vaccine available for cancer, get it. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah. And, and too, I mean, from what you've been talking about and urging people to is having that conversation with your doctor, right? Of, okay, you know, I, I have these concerns. What can I do about it? 
um, especially being open and having that open line of communication is super important. The other biggest thing that we can't forget is to make sure and get your cancer screenings because cancer screenings can help prevent cancer. They could also catch it in the early stages where it's much more treatable. And so um, I just can't emphasize enough that it's really important to know what the cancer screening guidelines and recommendations are and to make sure that you're talking to your doctor about getting those things done. 100%. So with patients that you see in um, the hospice care, is it people that are in the later stages that if they would have had that screening earlier that they may not even have been there? Or is it the type of cancer they have? Well, any type of cancer can spread and become what we call metastatic. And so Once it gets metastatic, it's much, much harder to treat. It means it's traveled from its original spot into other areas of the body. And so if we can catch it before it gets metastatic, then it has a much better chance of being treated. Um, Most patients that go on hospice do have, you know, for cancer, do have some type of a metastatic cancer that's advanced Uh, further than we can treat. We've tried everything and there's no further options. They're not responding to the treatments. Um, And hospice is just sort of that last stage of of support for patients that are no longer getting aggressive care like chemotherapy, radiation, or surgery. Gotcha. So you're saying that though, if if individuals have the opportunity to do so, get your skin, get your cancer screening because then the earlier you can get that detected, the better chance you have to getting that, that care that you need to perhaps even eliminate that. Yeah. I mean, we always try for cure, but if we can't cure, then we can extend life some. Um, and the, the earlier you find it, the better chance you have of being cured. Yeah, for sure. Well, thank you so much, Brian, for being with us today and sharing your expertise. We really appreciate the time you've taken to answer our questions and teach not only Sadie and I, but also our participants so much more about cancer care and treatment, diagnosis, supporting those that you love, and how to better communicate with healthcare professionals, caregivers, and your loved ones. I also think that it's super important, as we've talked about, to have a good basis of understanding when it comes to cancer, especially when it is becoming more prevalent in Utah, as you said, skin cancer. Uh, I also think that it's important to mention that when it comes to our health, it is 100% worth it to take the time to invest in ourselves, taking the proper steps to prevention and early diagnosis by getting the proper cancer screenings done at the right times as we just talked about, can have the potential of saving your life. So thank you again so much, Brian. We appreciate the work that you do and the information that you've provided with us today. Well, thank you for having me. It's been fun. Yes, of course. Thank you. And we also want to thank you, our Healthy Lifestyle participant, for listening. If you wish to learn more about the cancer awareness program that's going on or cancer awareness in general, please visit our Healthy Lifestyles website under our Wellcast tab, and you can find other additional resources and information under this episode. We challenge you to take time after listening to today's podcast 
to think about the steps that you can take to help prevent or catch cancer early. Thank you again for listening and catch you next time. Thank you.